Yo, welcome everyone to Ashes Pathfinders episode 71. Today we're going to be talking about Sanctus, which is why the episode's called On Sanctus. I am uh, joined by three companions today, or Pathfinders. Um, we'll go ahead and go round robin, starting at the top with Faisal. Welcome back, Faisal. Hey, And we got Mackie. Welcome back. Doing? Hey, everybody. And we're back with Miss, Wondering Miss down the bottom right there. Evening, So it's evening for us. For is, oh, us. for you? Yeah, I guess for a couple of you actually. <laughs> so like, fifty percent it's evening, fifty percent it's like what? Oh shit! It's actually mid- yeah. Okay, I guess it is. <laughs> I just realized this is actually at five p.m. I feel like my sense of time is completely ruined right now. Man, and uh, I would apologize ahead of time. I'm gonna be trying to like get the background noise a bit out of the uh, recording later, so I'll be muting myself just to kind of try and keep it clear. Someone outside wants to run the loudest machine I have ever heard outside of this house. So, <laughs> so Mackie, you had a really awesome upload to your YouTube this week. You want to tell people a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so I started a new new series for my channel called let's explore the living world of ashes of creation uh the first video i put out was about sanctus uh just um kind of theory crafting on some of the uh the uh, ideas of uh what sanctus is uh and if the gods had any uh hand in creating sanctus bef- before uh the fall go check it out it's really really nice very cool. Very cool. Yeah, it was a really good video. I really enjoyed it. I don't think that I've seen any, any a whole lot in the way of lore, but it ties in really well to what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, I did want to. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say except for this is what happens here these days. Sorry about the background noise, but I'm going to be muting it uh, kind of in between, and hopefully it'll get a little bit less loud but we did have some points i'm gonna just let you all kind of jump into this and i want to wind down last week's session a bit or session <laughs> episode i've been working too much this week um okay, it's, it's okay. all a session of me except i'm the one that's on the hot seat this time <laughs> yeah i know and someone outside's making crazy noise mix, man um so we had some points that we didn't finish talking about in terms of the kickstarter stretch goals last time uh, there were we discussions on the parlor games, which we haven't really talked about, group mounts, uh, backer weapons, skins, backer aquatic mounts, on, backer only die set, backer only skill effects. So I guess some of my questions is going to revolve around what are some of those items that you find you either are a little skeptical about being delivered well or being delivered uh and in any way like at, at the time of launch and then i i think my point i'm gonna kind of dig into the skill effects ones that's what i want to chat about but just yeah go for it while i mute this nonsense so i think the the key one there is the parlor games i think if they don't get that right then there's going to be hell to pay right because that that is sort of pivotal for the social aspect Really well, is. what do they mean by parlor games? Like, it's it's very hard to decide. I'm what thinking games you like, want. I'm thinking like Gwent. Like anyone who's played Witcher Three, the Gwent card game oh, yeah. that was in that. I'm thinking something like that. That is Ashes lore related. That would be really cool, even mm. if it was just that one game. I'd so, like that. 
some ideas about parlay games came up before the stream. What was it? Uh, let's play. Oh God! Seesaw. <laughs> oh, are we gonna go into this? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, let me pull up the list again. Oh dear. Go on, Mac. Uh, yeah, I, I, like that idea. No, I like that idea of, uh, of what you said, Gwent, or um, like uh, just some like a, a board game, or uh, even. Uh, hide and seek or tag. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hide and seek or tag. Really interesting. You're sitting in a tavern. You're waiting for uh, a group to form, or you're waiting for uh, a quest to pop, or or something. You know, you're you're just waiting in the tavern, or you're just in there, just AFKing, and you know, people are chatting around. Hey, who wants to join for hide and seek, or who wants to join for uh, let's have a, a mini race? You know. Uh, or something like that. It'd be kind of cool to interact with uh, the community that way. I think. I don't know about the seesaw though. <laughs> I kind of. Oh my god! No, no, no. Ring the round the roses way it's at. We have Stay a in that circle and you keep spinning. <laughs> the tonar is the uh, the pillar that's holding the seesaw. <laughs> hot potato. Yeah, hot potato in chat. Yeah, that's funny. No Tolnar allowed, though. No Tolnar allowed? Man, so much hate on the Tolnar here lately. No, you know what? One of the items on the list for the parlor, not parlor games, but the stretch goals, like aside from parlor games, is uh, for me is this the backer only skill effects. Like that one, I'm okay, because like I look at it like this, right? There's uh, the base skills. Then there's augmentation, right? And then I'm also looking at so if you have your you have your eight arc you know main classes, right, or archetypes, however you want to look at that, then combines with you know the same or other you know out of the eight you have the eight times eight basically, and you have that whole grid that's on their their website. And when I look at that, I go, okay, so how is that going to actually impact skills? Like, because are you talking about? You know, is it going to be like just one blanket skill effects that is going to just cover that main skill regardless of morphs? Or is it also going to change based on, you know, how you augment things? And, and, you know, it seems like that could potentially be a lot of work. And then how are you going to deliver that and also make it like genuinely well, just really good and tie that into everything? Yeah, I'm worried about that as well. Uh, I hope it's not to where they create a skill for the class or the sub the subclass and then just reskin it, recolor it and call it unique. That's what I'm worried about. If I were doing it, I would probably do it for the weapons, do uh special weapon effects because since any class can use any weapon, so you just have a single like special backer effect for each weapon, and and do it like that. That would that would make things even across all the classes. Um, I don't think, like you say, it would be very hard to do a any kind of um, individual effect per class. I don't think that would work too well. Um, they might surprise us. Who knows? Yeah, because you also have like the backer only die set. And so the dying system is something that seems really, I mean, it's pretty easy to do. You know, I mean, in terms of there's so many different games in general where that's like a function. 
uh, but the the skill effects, like the the way I could see that being delivered in a way that's not super difficult, you know, uh, or or because I mean I can even see how like potentially if you try to dig too far into altering the way a skill works. There's it, so many colors, Sim. There so are. <laughs> there's a there's a lot you could do with it. Like, is it just going to be changing the color of a skill and you just apply it like a dye and that's it? Because I think people would be pretty heated about that. What's the, where's yeah. the balance, right? Like, what's the balance going to look like? That's kind of where I'm at. What do you, anybody, uh, what do you think, Paisal? You got some other thoughts? I don't know. Like, putting FX into weapons and, uh, like, abilities is... I think it's super complicated. It's It would be... If they put it in all of the abilities, it would kind of make sense. However, you don't want to put them there because of balancing issues like people might not know how to distinguish between the two effects the normal one and the uh, backers only one but um uh, putting it into weapons that's in like how would people put it into weapons that's that's my question well you do it like they do in guild wars 2 with the legendary maybe. weapons i mean at least that's what i assume that they would do if they did it for the maybe weapons. maybe I didn't oh, really no, think it's... of it. Can you explain? So, uh, in Guild Wars 2, you've got uh, legendary weapons, which are uh, they have a specific skin, and they usually have some kind of effect. So, uh, for example, you swing the lightning sword, and every time you swing it on an ability, every time it swings, it generates a little bit of lightning. And mm. um, it, they also played it in with the every time you... For example, you kill a mob with the lightning sword, uh, the mob there essentially gets electrocuted, and that's how they they die at the end. And it's that kind of death effect that goes along with it. Um, so it's only um, we're talking about only just aesthetics, right? For ashes, yeah. not yeah, yeah. Uh, any. Okay. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, I I agree with uh, both of y'all. Like that'd be really hard to distinguish between, say, you pick up a a sword of lightning, like like for example, and um, your backer only effect is a lightning, whatever, but then you get another sword and it's flame, and there's still lightning on there. People are gonna get confused, like, oh, what is he using? Type of thing. Think about like, it. I'm, I'm still wondering how would they how would they implement. Would they make you choose the slots and like maybe like a crystal system? Or is it basically maybe maybe it's effects when you get like a certain flaming sword, you get only flame effects for it. Maybe, maybe that's how they would limit the confusion. But I don't know. Maybe Mm. like alter just altering whatever like the base effect is in general and giving it some yeah. Yeah, because I mean, that's the other thing you have to think about, too, is like depending on how the the skill effects are altered, like you got I mean, they already are pretty like blingy in general, like from what we've seen so far, which I think is is like actually a kind of a point of I don't know if I'd say contention or anything like that, but I think it's something that people definitely are debating about is like where where should like, you know, where's the balance in like it being a little over the top, you know, and too lightsabery, which is kind of the 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 feedback that a lot of people were kind of giving in terms of like the APOC uh, trailer stuff that we saw that's awesome they're they're gone that was so annoying dude i was like shut up 
Um, <laughs> yeah. I think the only ones that should glow or have some type of visual effect would be the legendary ones. So that way the people can actually distinct, mm. wow, this, this is a legendary. And, you know, that person yeah. will have that prestige of having that, that effect on it. Mm. I like the royalty mounts and stuff. Like, you know, not everybody gets a flying mount, you know. Mm-hmm. It's only for the, the select few that have some level of prestige. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I talked about the the group mounts too, which was another one that I was and, and the aquatic only mount, right? Like, how's the aquatic only mount gonna work? Is like, you know, it's just gonna be like your sea turtle. We already know that turtles are kind of a thing, but is it gonna just be like a a slow sea turtle, uh, or is it gonna be have some pretty good speed? You know, how's that can be comparable to, Whoa. you know, a ship, for I example? Mm-hmm. I just imagined the sea a siege turtle. Advance! And it's the <laughs> slowest thing that was. <laughs> the uh, oh. group mounts, if I'm mistaken, let me know. Uh, is it... Uh, I don't know if I heard this somewhere or I'm just hallucinating. <laughs> uh, was it said that they will require resources? So if you're going over an ocean, you couldn't traverse the entire ocean for long periods of time you would actually have to stop and like feed your pet or mm. give it some time to cool down so that way there's no um i'm like uh, literally looking kind of like competing with ships because that'd be kind of pointless if you have ships right bounce that mm-hmm. the same thing, you know so I'm curious if that's a thing because if if um if there's no distinction between group mounts or aquatic mounts and uh, ships, then uh, I could see a lot of people just go in with their aquatic mount because mm-hmm. they're uh, easily accessible, especially if they're a backer. Yeah, there's like very sad. little. I'm looking. I'm looking to try and see what I can find on it, but uh, yeah, there's man. not a lot. I, I was I was trying to dig it up the other uh, day after we had the last podcast too. Yo, Sunfrog in chat. There is a quote from Stephen saying uh, somebody apparently asked, Mm -hmm. uh, will you be able to tame underwater creatures to be mounts? And he said yes. Right. So that's a thing. Mm -hmm. I I don't know whether that's going to, again, how that's going to affect. And I'm just linking back to something that Patria said last week, Mm -hmm. um, that... If the mounts are just speed boost, that would be very disappointing, and and particularly with the with the aquatic mounts as well. If that just allows you to effectively swim faster, then that that would be kind of sad. Yeah, that that would, be, that would be sad. So for the uh, the group mounts, do you want to see uh, the mounts have like storage on them, or what? Like, mm. what, what kind of perks do you want to see for the group mount? It's a good question. I'm, I'm torn because when you when you going back to WoW and you've got the the giant mammoth, yeah, there and it got to the point where you needed that mount just because of how useful it is. Like being able to repair your gear on the move while mounted, mm. being able to have access to vendors in dungeons and stuff like that. It, in my opinion, broke the game a little bit. Mm. Um. Yeah, yeah I, I I do agree. I don't I don't want people to repair on their mount. It doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> like yeah, I feel, 
storage is okay. Mo- increase of movement speed might be okay, but if a person is riding a horse, I expect it to be much faster than a person riding a mammoth. <laughs> right. Like, there's supposed to be pros and cons when you select an individual mount and a group mount. So and you said you were okay with storage, right? Yeah, st- storage so, is fine. So, question for you. If, say, they only gave storage to the people who backed, those mounts only had storage, had like 80 slots of storage, but the ones they sold in the uh, store only had 40. Oh, no. How no, you- no, 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 no. We can't do that. That would just yeah, backfire think- so badly. That would- That's what I'm yeah, saying, like- though. Like, do you, you want to give your backers something unique? So maybe do you something increase the storage for that, or do you give them a faster boost in speed, or you know how do you uh, teeter that? Teeter no, I, I would I would just keep it to to design. Uh, like the whole point we're backing this project is basically there's no pay to win, and Stephen does emphasize the whole pay to win option. Like there's no going to be pay to win thing. So if if we if we get more storage or get more speed. That's still an advantage, and people will nag about that. I don't think. Yeah. Uh, that that could be used. <laughs> mm. That brings me to the to the same thing like ESO does with the uh, the crafting bags. Mm, like if right. you sub, you get a crafting bag and you get unlimited space for all your junk. But if you're not sub, yeah. then you have to have all your storage on your person. So that's that could also be viewed as pay to win for some people, but for others it's uh, uh, pay to convenience. Convenience, yeah. Convenience, yeah. Mm-hmm. Again, where do you draw that line? Yeah, it's a such a gray such a gray area on that because you know I even I'm like pretty anti pay to win in general. Like I just I I don't agree with it at all i even feel like pay to can pay for convenience is pay to win i know some people just disagree with that and that's fine we can all have our opinions but you know if it gives you an, a significant edge over somebody who doesn't have the money right and it allows a person to progress in gameplay in some way shape or form quicker i consider it pay to win because you're paying for something that someone else isn't going to have they're hindered because they don't pay the money in terms of progression like so i look at it at a very fundamental level like convenience though like if i look at like the craft bag and then this is the thing right i have that perspective but then i also look at the subscription model for the elder scrolls online and i think that a subscription model should also have something more than just you're paying so you can play um so it's it's where do you kind of draw the line i you know but sometimes i as I've, I've been contemplative about that, I almost find myself vetoing myself and yeah. just going, just pay for a box cost, just pay for a subscription to have access to play the game and leave all the other stuff out of it so that there's no, you know, pay to win argument around it at all. And I feel like that's where I kind of stand yeah, these days. I, I, I do. I do agree. Like, I like the difference in this project that they're trying to make is basically they're trying to eliminate the whole okay here's the box price you, it, once you buy it um uh, you have to either pay a subscription or not pay a subscription that doesn't make sense to me but like 
if if I only pay a subscription I'm, I'm, and I'm on equal terms with everybody else, I'm cool. That's where I'm cool at. <laughs> so it kind of depends so. on where on how how the the pay to convenience fits into the game. If you look at uh, yeah. Black Desert Online, just as an example, <laughs> if you want to be competitive in that game, you have to to basically yeah, buy into it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because that's how the game is set up. Um, whereas you take the same things that they offer paid for in um, Black Desert Online and you put it into a game like WoW, it wouldn't really make any difference. It wouldn't affect the game because the gameplay is so different. Mm. Yeah, I think this is something that we're probably going to end up revisiting a bit down the road because there was a point that, uh, you know, Miss, we have kind of on the conversation to talk about uh, paying for things uh, that we're going to kind of talking about business points that we'll probably get to down the road. Also, we have this just as a, I kind of feel like this is all like our beginning of the show part because we're gonna about to get into the <laughs> we're about to get into the good stuff. I just wanted to make sure that we didn't just completely skip the stuff we had finished on the agenda for last time. Uh, but there is um, a live stream coming up next week, so you can get your questions in. There was also a tweet, and this is a good lead into where we're about to go with lore. Uh, and there was a tweet from Ashes of Creation on the twenty second of April. 8.30 in the morning, my time anyway. At least it's, I think that's how Twitter works. It's supposed works. to be your a live time. stream in four days by mm. Creation. Yeah, and um, yes. So they have a live stream coming up. You can go to the forums and post uh, some of your questions that can potentially be asked during the live stream uh, that Ashes of Creation will be putting on. So definitely go do that. They posted, though, a tweet talking about, and it was just kind of a throwback a little bit, and I actually was like super intrigued by this. And I think that, I don't know, man. I kind of wonder if I've been missing this a bit because I kind of look at the frame of reference of when I see something that's a cosmetic, it's just like a promo for the cosmetic, but usually it tends to be around what's currently active. But this was like, this yeah, was, uh, that's true. Yeah. But this was kind of a bit of a throwback and I was like, interesting. So it was literally every so often the force grants a bounty of its Titan bark to the Empyreans as a sign of thanks for their duty as protectors. This bark is ground down and hammered into a red hot forge, uh, in a red hot forge, creating a metal that is highly resilient. The mail is granted to the protectors of the grove. And of course, they were showing the Imperium armor that was part of the uh, cosmetic that was released sometime back. It was months ago, months and months ago now, which I thought was really awesome looking. But I just thought that that was a really interesting bit of lore because we've, I think we even had a conversation last week about how we get lore bits, but they tend to pertain to cosmetics, almost like to entice people to kind of purchase the month's cosmetics. I found this to be interesting though, because we got a bit of a lore drop and yeah, it referenced a cosmetic, but it's not something that you can buy anymore. It was something that's in the past at this point. And I just thought it was a really good bit of lore that they tweeted about and something I'd actually like to see a lot more of. It was very interesting to me. Did you all catch that? And if you did, like, what were some of your thoughts about it? Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> I always try to read those articles because uh, I think Pacha was the one who um, brought it up last stream yeah. 
was they have these bits of lore that are sprinkled throughout the cosmetic uh, packs, but people miss those because people just look at the uh, the pictures and like, oh, that looks cool. I'm gonna buy that. They don't really scroll through and read the entire uh, flare text of lore, but it's a lot of interesting things in those uh, in those posts if you're a lore junkie. Mm. Agreed. Uh, I'll be honest, I didn't actually see this until you just brought it up, um, but I I think that's really cool to have that kind of uh, lore element that it it's it's great because it fleshes out the the different races. Um, and I think that's very important. You, you not just physical differences, but there needs to be some kind of law differences between each race. I I really like that. It's really cool. And yeah. and also the armor. I hadn't seen the armor before. The armor looks amazing. Yeah. I love the armor. That's that's so cool. Yeah, it was one of the one times I was like, oh, I gotta have that. Of course, I like playing an elf. So yes, <laughs> uh, I do. Becky's <laughs> like, yeah, yeah brother. Uh, that pack was actually pretty awesome. And it came with, um, I think it was like a grove, like a Yo. nice looking temple. And like, it just gave a lot of uh, lore in that pack. Uh, very regal, too. Uh, if you look at that pack, very regal. Yeah, I could totally see myself running around. And I was like, damn, I, can, I totally can see that. And it was pretty awesome, I, you know, but this was one of those things when I when I saw that tweet, I was like, dude, this is I feel like this is going to fly into the radar if I don't like bring it up somehow or at least get get us talking about it. Um, and I just found it interesting because even from a there's like two parts, one's lore. The other part to me was so you're talking about I'm just going to work under the assumption that these four still exist. And I'm just going to also work under the assumption that, I mean, this potentially could be something that a crafter might be able to do. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe not. But, you know, but you're talking about hammering down bark that then turns into metal that's used for armor. And you're talking about turning to metal. So I'm just going, what? So I'm even going, is this something we're even going to see in the game? Was it also like a hint at, and I know people are going to be like, oh, Sims reach. And I'm like, but yeah, but we're, this is what we do. We speculate and we theory craft. No, no, I I I think, I think it is part of the game because don't don't forget, we do have three types of people when it comes to crafting. We have people who gather, people who refine, and then people who like take that refined material and make it into items. So from, I, I could see that happening a little bit. From the lore side of things, mm-hmm. I would have to say this would definitely probably this would definitely be in the game. One because they're selling a pack, and you got to see it in the <laughs> game somehow. But uh, taking the lore from that specific uh, pack is um, pretty much t- telling you before Vera. These are how this is how things functioned uh, in the Pyrite Kingdom. For those of you who are watching and don't know what Pyrae are, Pyrae are the the parent the parent uh, race uh, of Empyrean and Pyrian. So Pyrae is the parent race and then the two sub-races. So before mm-hmm. the fall, it was Pyrae. So this would hinder uh, connect back to the Pyrae race before the fall. Uh, this is what they practice, I'm pretty sure. And, and then obviously it went to Sanctus, it got lost, but the practices got lost, but the teachings probably didn't because you probably had people still able to uh, recall that knowledge, write it down, and pass it on, but they couldn't do it. And then coming back to Vera, 
they actually had magic again, so they were able to re-implement those traditions. Nice. In 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 my opinion. No, that <laughs> was the sun. Makes sense. It's the sun. <laughs> <laughs> no, that'd be really really cool. And like you say, if it can, if they incorporate that into gameplay, oh, that'd be. Like, I'm usually not yeah. one of a crafter. I usually don't go into much crafting stuff, but if that kind of thing was in craft, I would definitely do it. That would be so cool. I love it. Absolutely love it. It's just a very different approach to like if we get to see it and like like Faisal said or Faisal, right? Sorry, gotta get your name right, damn it. Is it Faisal or Faisal? It's Faisal, right? You'll never know. You said it last time, there's evidence. Um You can call me whatever you want. I have like a lot of nicknames, it's fine. So this is the thing though, like in traditional MMO RPGs, right? You don't you don't go craft metal for bark. And and so you know, you hit on this uh you're talking about gathering or finding and and crafting of actual like armor and stuff. So uh but you know Mackie kind of made a good point. We're talking about like what got lost going to Sanctus, and that's a great segue into talking about Sanctus now. Cause we got some points around this and, and I'll be honest, like as much as Mackie kind of thanks for the shout out, by the way, uh, in the video, I appreciate that. But as much as you found inspiration from that, I'll tell you that that gave me inspiration too. It reminded me of some of my own thoughts around the ideas of Sanctus and, you know, the fall and the Exodus and the return, what, you know, some theory crafting that I've had in the past. And those were conversations I've had with you. So this is going to be interesting just from that perspective. And then we also have two other people here that we can kind of get right. some more brainstorming on who haven't even really touched on this topic, uh, at least with me in the past. So this is going to be interesting. But, um, you know, we go back and, and start thinking about the, there's a lot of. Oh, and I got to say, too, when I watched your video. <laughs> we were going to call this on Sanctus or I was going to call it on Sanctus. And there was a moment, a fraction of a moment where I was watching your video and I giggled a couple times. And one of the times was when you talked about, <laughs> about how we go to Sanctus magicless and sweaty. <laughs> and I, was, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I was like, I should just call this episode magicless and sweaty. Yeah. Let's call that. Yeah. Wait. So which one is the sweaty one and which one is the magicless? Sanctus. <laughs> yeah. So when we go back and look at the lore, now we could go real far back and do some speculation around <laughs> the Pantheon and some of their plans. And I'm sure we'll go off on tangent tangents here while we're doing this, you know, but I go back and I think of the, one of the first real significant pieces of lore that the studio or that Intrepid really gave us. And that was talking about the Harbingers coming. And this was a, a snapshot of a journal essentially from Dilia's diary. And in this, Dilly is talking about um, essentially leaving their home while the Harbingers are, you know, upon them. And this is like a snapshot of their their history, their, you know, her family and, and what happened with her, you know, her parents and all of that as they were running and escaping essentially Vera to get to uh, the the gateway. And, you know, and if you haven't checked it out, it's on their website and I would definitely encourage you to do it, especially if you're interested in lore, because it's really a great snapshot of, of, you know, kind of this origin piece, if you will, of, of where we're not, not necessarily like an origin for, you know, uh, Ashes of Creation as a whole, but kind of your story as a player 
right? Because the exodus happens, you're on Sanctus, and then we're the people coming through the gateway back, you know? And this, this to me brings a lot of questions up, right? One of them is, well, how the hell are the damn gateways back on in the first place, right? And then I, you know, listened to or watched and listened to Mackie's, uh, like lore uh, story. And oh, there's a cat in the background. It's fine. That's we got a cat back there checking out my rucksack back there. Don't worry about it. Um, but let's get started with talking about the Harbingers, right? Um, speculation as to what they are exactly and where they came from. This is one. I'm totally directing to Mackie because I am so curious what your thoughts are. And then gentlemen as a whole, where we're all at. Um, but you know, I have had very mixed perspectives on it myself. And I'd like to know what you all think in terms of where the harbingers even came from in the first place. Okay. So the moon. (laughs) (laughs) So let's see. I did a whole video about the Harbingers, by the way, like a year ago. Mm-hmm. So we'll check that out. Um, no, so the Harbingers are these mysterious, quote unquote, comets that we would take as comets or shooting stars or whatever you want to call it, uh, that fell to Vera many, 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 many years ago. Uh, I'm going to kind of bounce around here. So to take what Sim said about the Dilius diary being a piece of lore that you all should check out you definitely should check that out because one it's uh it's an official piece of lore for the dwarves uh this happened in dunheim this is part of their history this will connect the pieces and timeline between um when the harbingers fell or when the harbingers appeared and when they fell and the fall it'll piece that timeline for you if you're following the lore that way but uh, my theory about the Harbingers is that there's two theories, actually. One is that they're the prison, they're a prison, or two, they're a, they're a ship. So this is going to get a little crazy. So <clears throat> let's, let's, uh, let's, you know, tighten your seatbelts. So in the beginning, there were 10 gods. 10 gods um, created the ancients. The ancients are going to be called the monsters that we fight in the game. Or that's what they're going to be called, pretty much. Because ancients, we don't know anything about them. Ancients were uh, brought forth by the ten original gods. Three of those gods decided to teach these ancients, these beings, uh, secrets of magic, or what they call essence. Uh, The other seven gods got upset, and a great celestial battle ensued. And uh, the ancients and the three gods were banished to a void. We don't know where this void was. We don't know even where these gods were inhabiting. We don't know if they were in space or another planet or in the sky or whatever. We don't know. That's all vague. That was just vague information given to us by Intrepid. So uh, some numbers I want you to remember is there were three gods that were banished, okay? Now, in the beginning of Delia's diary, they see three harbingers in the sky. And then a few weeks or months or whatever pass, and Delia counts 16 lights in the sky. Okay? So my theory is, this is where the spaceship theory comes in, is the three lights in the beginning were the three gods 
leading the charge back to Vera. And then the rest of the lights were the ancients that came after them. Or mm-hmm. it could be that they were, since they were imprisoned, the harbingers are actually the capsules that they were thrown out into the void to you know, go wherever. Somehow they managed to escape that void, and now they're coming back. And uh, I want you to get a, a picture in your head about the size of these harbingers, uh, these rocks, the formations. That, that's the only thing I can call them. Uh, in the picture of Delia's diary, if you look at it, uh, the original concept was this egg-like shape in the middle. And it's very smooth. Uh, and it, it essentially could be a rock or it could be a spaceship. Don't know. Um, but I think that's how the corruption came back or the corruption came to Vera is with those ancients. Because again, back to the beginning of lore, uh, before Vera, before everything, uh, it was known that essence could be manipulated to whatever that person desired to wield. Corruption, divine, elemental, whatever. So if the three originator gods taught the ancients uh, corruption magic, then that's what they brought back with them. Yeah. Hard to follow, but mm-hmm. uh, once it's once you get into your, your head, you kind of can form your own interpretations of the mm-hmm. Lord. What about you two? I mean... It's a very interesting theory. I, I don't honestly. I okay. I haven't really read much on this on the law. I'm kind of skimmed through uh, the diary now as you were talking or listening at the same time, and it seems there's there's nothing in this that I can that I'm reading right now that suggests any kind of malice it, it was more the just the sheer impact of the of whatever it was right. the harbinger hitting the ground right. that causes so much devastation mm-hmm. but there's there's nothing to, to suggest that there's corruption that goes along with it maybe right. I'm missing something. so again this is this is this harkens back to what me and Potter were talking about the last stream where these lore tidbits get pushed onto us, but we don't kind of connect them. So you have to take Dilly's diary and then you have to take the lore from the APOC and connect it together. Cause there are, there are stories from APOC that connect to uh, the harbingers falling, cracking open mm-hmm. and these ancients flying out. So that's where that theory comes from. So you would have to literally scour uh, the old APOC lore and pick those apart. And, yeah, but the Dilly's diary is the beginning of an insight to what happened to Vera. Um, it's like a beginner course, I guess you could say. What if Vera was prison? If Vera was like the prison, yeah. And well, once the bad uh, deities went out of Vera. It's caused everything. Could be possible. But why would they... My question is, where would this prison be located? In the sky? In the oh, atmosphere? Because they're yeah, flying almost. from the sky. They're falling from the sky. Yeah, that kind of ties... See, that... I have the theory that they 
are uh, essentially containments, containment vessels uh, for, uh, you know, this like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, banishment, in a sense, like they were banished into these. And, you know, when, whenever, like the way I've always conceptualized it is, you know, in Superman, you remember watching that first? <laughs> I was. Were you? Same. Yeah. Yeah. It, but, you yeah. know, there was like an element of that that was like they were kind of in a different realm. And this like containment was the gateway to it almost. But the containment itself is like almost a tangible thing. Yeah. And it like phases in and out, like it could be phased out. And so right. my thoughts have been I've always kind of wondered, and this is definitely speculation, is, you know, if it's in another realm that exists similarly, right? The, the falling can be from gravity alone. If it was like kind of out in another realm. Now right. something opened and like kind of merged the realms in some way that would cause that to then gravitate towards the planet, fall, break open because it's containment. And then here we go. And they go on their dark crusade and we run, right. you know, it's kind of been my thought process around it. Again, it's just, based off what I've always understood, what I've kind of pieced together. I definitely, the idea of like the three gods and then the, the dark ones or the, the dark ones that, you know, uh, were there, the ancients, if you will, that like kind of were their minions of sorts, uh, you know, uh, clearly very dangerous and ominous forces, but you know, they were somehow kind of isolated and banished and something changed that. And, what that is, I don't know, but that's always been my working theory or hypothesis. Uh, so, yeah, I like that. But then that kind of let's go ahead and take a step back. Right. So from Dilia's diary, we get a snapshot of the Exodus and um, the beginnings of it or the beginnings. of it, Yeah, you get the snapshot of the Exodus and that's leaving the planet of Vera through these gateways, these divine gateways that lead to Sanctus, that then become closed. So when we think about Sanctus, we, you know, on Sanctus, there's no magic, right? And so then the question of where does the magic go, which is something that Mackie is also kind of, I mean, you want to share your theory on that? Let's talk about the little gem. Okay, We've seen so, it. My, so one of my theories is, if you played APOC or if you've seen concept art of the gateways in their current iteration, there's a gem mm. in the middle of it, okay? And it spins and it has pretty lights. Um, my theory is uh, once... A roller coaster. Yeah. <laughs> so once the the inhabitants of Vera step through the gateway, their magics that they possessed from Vera were sucked into this gem, uh, allowing the gods to... Uh, keep it safe and dormant so that way the humans that stayed behind could find a way to reanimate them later on. But if that theory is to work, then we have to assume that the gods get their power from the worship th that the people give them. Uh, so potentially when all these people left Vera, the gods were weakened. They knew they were going to be weakened, so they needed a way to fuel these gateways uh, later on, that's why they suck the magic into these gyms. Mm. That's my theory. Mm. Mm. That has always given me an idea. So if that happens, 
what part of uh, the beings or the the residents is that uh, existing in? You know, like, and how does that? You know, I mean, changed them as as races, right? Because we talk about how the Tolnar stays behind and all that happens, evolutionary stuff, right? And then I kind of wonder, you know. If you look at a, a human or an elf as a vessel or a or dwarf, where does this magic energy reside? How does it change us? Let's, I'm just going to say us mm-hmm. as beings as we go through. How does that then change us from an evolutionary standpoint as we're on Sanctus, right? Place completely devoid of magic, something that is absolutely what has been discussed over and over and over and, and hammered in, right? It's devoid of magic. Technology is not really very high. I mean, clearly, you know, then you think to yourself, so if we're going to sank this and magic's gone, how's it changes from an evolutionary standpoint in terms of DNA or uh, the soul or whatever, however, wherever that's residing. That's like my one part. The other part um, is, uh, if if magic has been such a big part of our lives and we and we ha- we go to Sanctus and we're there for thousands of years, thousands before we even come back, then over that course of time, how does that change us as a vessel that holds magic? Do we come back potentially more potent with magic as a result? Do we come back potentially having problems with it? Um, so there's those pieces. And then... In terms of if if magic played a really big part in, in how we functioned, and that's taken away, you know is that in what level does that cause us to now have to relearn things, start over, right? So you talked about we talked about Sanctus being devoid of magic. What do you all think the impact is? And then I wanted Mackie to expand upon this idea of a holy land. In terms of the magic, uh, I I haven't read too much into the law, so correct me if I'm wrong. But in terms of us using magic on Vera, is the magic that we have access to there from objects and the world, or is it inherent in us? Like, are we storing the magic in us and then we channel it through various objects and and such? Because if that's the case then when we traverse through the portal, go to Sanctus, do we lose the inherent magic that's inside of us? Or is it still there and we just don't have a way of accessing it? Good question. So it could be all the that above. That is a very good question. It could possibly be all the above, I think. Uh, <laughs> they haven't told us any of that. All we know is once we step through, the magic is gone. There's no magic. Uh, but when we step back through, somehow, some way, we are retaught magic uh so we'll find that out in the game they haven't really told us any of that but that would that would be it would explain uh, how the portals can open though so like if we so, still have magic inside us but can access it but then one day we mm-hmm. suddenly found that we could access it again through whatever divine intervention that would allow us to open up the divine gateways again so to hit on your point about the gateways reanimating that was uh there's two different ways I can explain this. One way is comes from the APOC lore is the there's this group of people called the Light Pact. So there's a bunch of stuff happening in the APOC, by the way, in lore. It's just not the players that are there killing each other. 
there's a coalition of united races called the Light Pact. And they are essentially fighting off the ancients, fighting off other people who are trying to take over these castles for safe haven. And they're also trying to find a way to reanimate the gateways to bring themselves into Sanctus or to bring Sanctus back to us. So um, there's a piece of lore in APOC, and some frog can probably back this up, is uh, the Light Pact uh, somehow was given knowledge or found knowledge of certain materials that they could gather and reanimate these gateways. They don't say how they reanimate it or if they were successful, but we obviously know they are because the gateways uh, become active again. But uh, they don't they don't really uh, delve deep into how the people of Sanctus are allowed to pass through back to Vera. But my thinking is if it was divine magic and it didn't hurt them going through, it shouldn't hurt them coming back. I don't know. This is how I see it. The group of Tolnar tripping over a wire that activated the portal <laughs> and brought them back. <laughs> no other explanation. <laughs> it's like Ant-Man coming back in, in Endgame. Right. That, is that kind of what we're doing here? <laughs> and see, at the time, we were talking about um, the, what you were saying about the Tolnar. We don't know if the Tolnar were still worshipping these gods or if they created their own religion or or what. Because, you know, they're a mix of everybody now and um they might they might view the this pantheon of gods as uh some uh as people i mean people as beings who turned their backs on them and their their hour of need kind of thing even though the gods provided them with the underrealm so don't know yeah it's a very good perspective and plus we don't know all what the divine gods are <laughs> so we don't know like if if they had to do anything with it. It's, it's, it's like looking at the Greek gods. You can't blame every god for doing a certain thing. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, as of, as so. of right now, we can blame two gods. We can blame yeah. the goddess of creation and the <laughs> goddess Fate. of creation because they're the ones who created the Underrealm. And my thing, my theory is they created the Underrealm and Sanctus at the same time because the goddess of fate foresaw the calamity. And so they already doomed, doomed us from the beginning. Just going back yeah. to the, the Harbingers again, mm -hmm. uh, is this the first time that this has happened in various history? Because, they, again, going back to Delia's diary, some of the dialogue implies that they knew about it and they uh, know what it is. If I, I just read, you've got the last couple of sentences. Um, the mother says, Dilia, there is something you must know. I love you more than life itself, my only daughter. You are the light of my life, and I will do anything to keep you safe. But the darkness has come. Mm -hmm. So that's that last sentence is referencing uh, Dilia's mother comes from a great line of oracles, and she's an oracle herself. So her family already foresaw uh, future events. That's what she's referring to about the darkness coming. If you if, I think it's in the middle somewhere, mid, uh, beginning, middle of that story, where they talk about King uh, Grimley yeah. falling ill and dying. Yes. That was foresaw by an oracle uh, from Dilia's lineage, either her mother or one of her close relatives. I don't remember. 
it's just it's been a while since I've actually read the whole thing. Um, but they're referencing the Oracle's um, visions, and her mother happens to be part of that lineage, and she knows what's coming or what has come to Vera already. That's what she's okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, I love that story so much, man. (laughs) Like it's just such a good snapshot. I I think yeah, I think that they you know knew that those were those. You know, I think that's what they knew exactly what that was. They knew those were the prisons falling and they knew that it was the corruption that was going to befall the land because it was uh, the dark ones that had been essentially banished, falling, you know, coming back to the planet. And, you know, I'm just so, so curious. Like, I'm really looking forward to finding out what the catalyst for that moment was. You know, like what they're coming, falling back. Yeah. Mm. Like that. What was the catalyst for that? You know, was there some you know, dark. Yeah. But like, you know, but how did they, how did they gather that? Like if it was like, because of their will, you know, like because of their drive yeah. to come back yeah. or, or on the planet, did something, was there some element going, let's get them back and let's try to find right. a way. And then they opened like into another realm and brought them. And then here they come. Or is it like, we've been over here trying. So if we want our vengeance which, by the right. way, they won anyway. But right. was it because we won our vengeance and we are f- going to keep looking and looking and finally find a way? Or is it there, you know, almost like uh, other other element here on the planet, like the worshipers, those that were like, bring the darkness and let's bring destruction and let's break the dark ones back or whatever. And they're praying and they're like, you know, you know, experimenting and they're looking for ways and they're researching and they finally figure out a way. That's what I want to know is like, what was the actual right. catalyst? Cause we know when they get here, vengeance ensues, like they're bringing the darkness, the corruption's going to go over everything. Right. Yeah. Um, and that, that that's a really, really good theory because we know that, you know, it's just not the race. Our, our four typical races inhabiting Vera. Mm-hmm. Before the fall and after the fall, there are groups of other smaller clans who are either atheist or cultist or, you know, demonic something or, you know, there's there's different types of clans out there. So it could have been some devious plan from one of them to bring back these uh, these evil forces in a way. But how do we know if they're evil? Like. My my whole thing is, um, oh boy! Why does it always have to be good and evil? There's always uh, a gray area. Uh, we don't we don't know why the gods wanted to keep uh, the other gods and the ancients from spreading the uh, the teachings of the essence. Uh, so, it's also begs the question: How did the races of Vera get their hands on this uh, these teachings when we come back? If they were so for forbidden, mm-hmm. like find it amongst the ruins, maybe, or you know, we find it through exploration. I, I yeah, I'm so curious, and it, it's it's good that they. It's kind of interesting that we get these snapshots. I think that's really kind of fun because for 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 those of us who are like I, I call theory crafting of lore lore crafting, and 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 I think for lore crafters that have this these ideas around how this is all being put together and whatnot like it's really really fun when we get to the place where it's finally revealed and we get to go oh we were right about this or we were right about that these like theories we had you know someone was totally on point 
Uh, and other people are like, yeah, dude, your theory was like completely garbage, but this guy got it, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's just fun because it's such a reward when you hypothesize based on what you know, and you get elements of that that are true. It's like very, I don't know. It's very rewarding, I think, but, mm-hmm. um, so the idea around Sanctus and, and the Underrealm being created at the same time by these, you know, by the gods that were kind of in cahoots for kind of our exodus. Um, tell me more about this idea of the Holy Land. This, what, what do you think makes it holy? Just the idea that it's pure. There's nothing mm-hmm. there to corrupt the races anymore. The mag- mm-hmm. Their magics are gone. Uh, essentially, you know, no magic. There's no magic equals pretty much no essence manipulation. No essence manipulation equals no corruption. No corruption is a pure land. Mm. so far but then so far, yeah so far but then you you uh you have the uh <laughs> the races coming in who bring all of their problems <laughs> so um the gods can pretty much uh keep 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 us safe from the corruption or either what they would define as uh, evil mm-hmm. but honestly it's actually the the people who are going to be their own undoing. And this idea of a holy mm-hmm. land is you enter this pure world, but then you bring your own religions, your own views. And essentially what could happen is inquisitions, crusades, yes. uh, ex- <laughs> exterminating the heretics as if you, you know, if you want to call it because, and I actually took notes to, to prepare for this question because I knew you were going to ask this. So you have, so during the time of the fall, which is uh, before the APOC, Mm -hmm. you have the orcs who, specifically the Rinkai, who were divided and they were nomadic. They were barely becoming their own nation. And they were warriors. They hated pretty much humans, period. They hated humans to a fall. Oh, hell no. Um, oh, because yeah. the humans, the humans were the race on Vera who were, uh, they were the expansive race. They wanted everybody's stuff. Your stuff was their stuff. If you didn't give them your stuff, they would take it from you kind of thing. So they were Ooh. the, they were the entitled race. <laughs> yeah, they were, they, they were those people. The Pyrai, they didn't want to teach them certain magic. So they went to, it was bad. <laughs> uh, then you had the Pyrai, which are the elves. they were just, you know, hey, man, I just want to spread my magics, you know, and live in my forest kind of people. The humans humans come by and like, nope, this is my forest, you know? So, um, yeah, you have these humans coming through this this gateway and they they could potentially see the rest of these races as just peasants. And since we all know humans were the less magic affinitive of all the races, they already knew how to do a lot of things practically. So they had an advantage uh, over some of the races, not all of the races, some of the races, in my opinion. Uh, So we also don't know how many uh, houses or royalty or generals or the numbers in general, of humans that came through with the other races. And the same thing for the other races. We don't know specific numbers that came through Sanctus. So uh, it could be that 
the humans wanted to cleanse the the rest of uh, mm. the film away, and that's what I meant by Holy Land. Um, it could be Holy Land for some, but it could be a, a hellish land for the others mm-hmm. in, in some way. So we 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 won't know until we actually get our hands on the MMO and some some lore. But I did for you, Sim. For you, Sim, I made a list. Yeah. Of uh, the races who would be more suited to survive on Sanctus. Oh my God. I love you, dude. So, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. The number one race to survive on Sanctus would be the Renkai Orc. Because they were Shit. already nomadic. They lived in huts and they knew how to build their own cities. And they were also. Wait, what the about the dwarves? Wait, wait, I'll get to that. <laughs> so they, they were also one of the fiercest warriors on Vera. They were pretty much equivalent to the uh, samurai at this time, so they already yeah. knew. Uh, they already had like mastery of tactics and strategy in war and fighting. Yes. The next, the next uh, second best race that would survive Sanctus would be the Pyrai. The Pyrai were the Wood Elves, and I say this because uh, mm-hmm. even though they didn't have magics in Sanctus. I believe they had to learn some ways to cultivate the land and hunt and gather in practical ways. So this place would actually be perfect for them, uh, to at least to survive initially. Mm-hmm. Uh, then after that, I put the Nikwa, which are the coastal elf, the coastal dwarves, uh, only okay. because they have knowledge of all things uh, coastal and mm-hmm. uh, aquatic life. So they could p- potentially just go off and do their own thing and leave these people to fight over here. Uh, and then we have the Dunier, their, their cousins. And I say that because uh, we don't know if Sanctus had mountains. So, mm. I mean, it could, it could have mountains. But probably we don't know not. if it had oceans. Right, but it could be, it, <laughs> if, if this were to work, they, they would have uh, mountains or small mountains or whatever. But they were master forgers. They could uh, probably barter their services to other races say oh you want to go to war with that person well we have the best uh, weapons for you we have the best armor for you we can craft you the best this 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 to that and they could probably survive that way without actually having to go to direct uh combat with anybody um after them would be the Veiloon. the Veiloon are the uh the human race that are specific to the desert Again, we don't know if there were deserts, but like the coastal L, like we're, coastal we're making farm, so many assumptions. Here. They could literally just be like, <laughs> you know, we survived in the deserts on Vera. We can do it again. So they just leave and separate themselves from everyone else. Mm-hmm. The Empyrean would be next for me only because they're elves. They rely heavily on magic. Uh, they're not like their their cousins, the wood elves, who mm-hmm. uh, were tuned to nature. They were more militaristic, strategists, tacticians, politicians. So they, in my opinion, they would be on the lower end of the totem pole. They'd probably become leaders or even politicians again. But they because had they magic, had they had though. no magic. They had no magic in Sanctus. We're talking about specifically yeah, and, for Sanctus. Okay. They have yeah, no magic. So they're they're just tall people with pointy ears at this point. <laughs> um, and then lastly, we have the, uh, my bad, second to last, we have the Kalar, which are the uh, the humans. And these people were, na- they had naval supremacy. They were merchants. They were warmongers, generals, politicians. 
they would fall beneath the Empyreans only because the Empyreans weren't as cocky as them. And uh, these humans <laughs> could probably see themselves as, again, cleansers of the land uh, and would want to like wipe out everyone out, pretty much. Uh, and then the last ones on my list would be the Kvek Orc, who were the pacifists. They were the astrologers. I only say they're last because um, I don't know if they were great warriors or if they even went to war. All I know is that they kept their eyes to the sky. Right. Uh, the, they could potentially be on the lowest end of the food chain in the beginning, mm-hmm. but they could possibly be the highest only because they can create calendars, tell people about seasons, and um, give that general knowledge of sanctus to the people on when to grow crops and when to not grow crops and such and such and such. Yeah. That's so that, very that logical. Was my list. Yeah. You, yeah, I get it. Cause you know, basically in a hierarchy form, you, you start from the top and you say the people most adapted to the environment in some fashion. Right. 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 So the ones that were most adapted to Vera and their magics and had their ways lower. of life, they're on the lower end because they relied too much on magic. Makes sense. I love that list. <laughs> Yeah, that's great. That's why I put it together. Oh, that was great. Yeah, <laughs> freaking love it, man. I love it. What do you What do you guys think about that? You have some like disagreements. I actually think that makes a lot of sense. I'd probably, I mean, I might like swap around does, some of them, but I feel like I feel like a lot of them that you kind of went down the list could mm-hmm. easily be more like, of a horizontal, yeah, interchangeable. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah definitely. Just yeah. based on on certain, not the the environment that they're placed in, obviously the culture that is mm-hmm. uh, used to being in the desert, if they happen to be able to go into a desert, then fine. Why not? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that, they'll do very well, and the other races will suffer. Right. But, yeah. We live it, by the sand, we die by the sand. <laughs> right, pretty much. I've always hypothesized that those orcs were very sim, like, they're culturally very similar to, like, Bushido, and, and as far as being a warrior race. Yeah, I always have the the warrior race. You know what I'd love to see, actually, is to like have the those stereotypes completely reversed. Mm. You know, like having the dwarves be the nature lovers that stay in the Mm -hmm. um, (laughs) in the woods in the forests, and then have the elves be the miners. I just completely switch over. I think that'd be brilliant. It could be done that in Sanctus. It, it wouldn't be out of the question to have any of these races living as slaves. Right. Because I guess. In, in Vera, the humans were the top. The elves were kind of in, in the middle. They were the only second largest race to human. So flip it on its head, and you, you those two races could be the slaves in Sanctus. You know, that's the thing, too, between the, like, the Renkai and the Vec, though. Like, the... I always saw the Vec as being just star. You know, I always I always have this like idea that they're they're actually like really intelligent. Uh, you know, potentially like potentially in tune with some sort of an astral magic element yeah. or something. Like I've always which to me is a very big step away from the the stereotypical orc. Mm-hmm. And some people may or may not disagree, may agree or disagree on this point, but when I think about the Renkai, like, yes, yes, yes. So traditionally, orcs are always very warrior-like. You know, we always see that. Like, warrior, strong, brutish. But I feel like the the specific orcs 
are a little more in tune with like that element of like Bushido and like honor and, uh, you know, not like this kind of grunt sort of just primal kind of like brutishness, something significantly different. So from my perspective, it's always fascinated me in terms of the orc, uh, the orc uh, uh, sub races because of the fact that it's not as traditional in terms of what we see, especially the Vec. But right. it's always fascinating me. So when you made that kind of tie-in, I was like, oh, my God, yeah, I'm, I'm like nerding so hard right now. Definitely. But. So I want to ask all of you which, um, which race or sub-race mm. people are you going to play? Shit. Human. Whoa. Which Just human? Does it, does it oh, human? I don't know. I don't care. I'm going to be really honest. I am going to have to... I'm a paladin. It's going to be a dwarf. We know this. Empyrean. Empyrean elf, probably. (laughs) You probably knew that already, though. Yeah, I already knew that. I can totally (laughs) see him as a dwarf, though. I mean, maybe an alt. An alt. An alt. I'll probably have a Vec Vec orc and probably a junior dwarf. I'm not not really too sure yet. He's going to have a dwarf waifu. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, maybe if like she's like you know no beards and like she's got like some pointed ears and she's like, and then it'd be like that's my waifu, you know. God, I'm going baby. to. I don't know, man. Traveling merchant's human, a master of the forge, dwarf. And Not surprising. The 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 master of the sword orc. Like these, these are you're the going full stereotype then. My God. <laughs> Yeah, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Actually, I know. After you, sorry, go ahead. Imperian high high priest. Hell yeah! So not surprised by the high priest. And I will clint this land of the Tolnar. Yes. <laughs> the, I will tell you this though. I don't know. I, I'm I'm a little torn on. I love my paladin archetype. I do. I love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Right. I never would have known. But. Right, <laughs> but with knowing that you start out, yeah, but I know right, it's a huge surprise for you guys. But but knowing that we start out with this tank idea of a tank. Now, I mean, in Alpha Zero, I saw the potential for Pally Bubbles and all that. It's great. Um, but I'm I would like I would like to see a little bit of a shift away from the super stereotypical. Still keep the identity of what a paladin would be, you know, but. How are they going to really make that meaningful? Like, I think if you don't make it meaningful enough for me, you might not see me as a paladin. You might you might see me shift more towards a cleric or something, but we'll see. You could uh, put some uh, religious augments on your. On true, your true. And even true. if like to make up for what they didn't give you. Potentially, yeah. So that so it's in the air, right? Because if my, I have these ideas of what I would see myself as. Can I be that in the game or not? We don't know yet. Probably. Hopefully. But you're going to need to make the Paladin meaningful. It's crap in a lot of games, honestly. I mean, I mean, you're able to hold any weapon that you want. At the end of True. The day, so Positive. It's going to be very different. It's not going to be the stereotypical cliche. Maybe, like... Um, hopefully. Character-wise, but like... Uh, well, 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 when you hold the weaponry, it's going to make a 
very big difference. Hopefully. I, but, you know, to be fair, I'm basing it on my own experience so far in testing yeah, everything I have so far. So I definitely love that I can do any weapon because it means I can be sword and board or mason board if I want. Play like that. That's like always fit my archetype. But whether or not the abilities are going to feel like so based on what I've seen, it's pretty stereotypical sort of like paladin vibes. I'm hoping to see something a little shift different, but that shift could be in augmentation and in religion and how all of that hell it could even be in the the skill effects that we could mm-hmm. tinker with right if we tie it back so very true totally possible but i don't know for sure because if in my mind it doesn't play out the way i'm hoping or assuming it will i don't know man maybe sim sim's just gonna get really angry and gonna be dirty he can play dirty Maybe I'm going to go rogue, full-blown rogue, and just murder. Who knows? Maybe I'll play Ashes and Seasons just you to be... never do that, Sim. You're never. probably right. You're probably right. You're probably right. Never. I can with it all, but you're probably right. But look, I just... My rebellious nature wants to... Has this idea that maybe I could. But realistically, you're probably right. It's probably totally on the cards for me. I've always got to be the stinking good guy. I don't know why. You're, Ridiculous. Oh, good guy, Sim. Well, so what, uh, you know, weapons, what weapon are each of you going to try to um, wield? Mm. Spear. Spear or whip. Yes. Spear or whip. I, but only if they oh, make them feel different. I, this is a pet peeve of mine in, in a lot of games where <laughs> the get... What? Oh, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> not going there. For ERP purposes. <laughs> Oh. Wow, <laughs> that that just happened. You're welcome, everybody listening or watching later. Oh, Jesus. man. Um, no, in in terms of the the combat, <laughs> I am so sick of swords that feel the same mm. as spears, that feel the same as daggers. Like they should be different. They should feel different to you. Same with things like if I'm using a crossbow, it should feel different to using a longbow. Should be different to using throwing daggers, throwing knives, or whatever. Like I want, I want them to feel different. Otherwise, there's no point. It just becomes a stat stick. So that's something that even even if it's like minor differences, like reload speed on a crossbow takes way longer than a longbow, hmm. or something, or, or like the the hits reach for a spear is way further than a sword. Mm. Yeah, there should be differences in the reach. Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. Like, I, I want to try uh, a staff and a um, a spear, but I don't want it to be where my staff just turns into, like, this big stick. Oh. <laughs> Whacking people with it. Like, Smacking you with a bow. Yeah, like, nah, I don't want to do that. Got it. Like, I want <laughs> spears. Do you want but, the spears but, to be I want, I want to two-handed be or one Whack people with a stick. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Two-handed or one I, I would like a if variation. They halberds, if they have halberds yeah. as well as spears, then I want the spears to be one-handed yeah, true. and the halberds to be two-handed. Yes, that's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping you get a one-hand version that's like a spear that you see like, uh, you know, like good old 300 fighting style maybe. <laughs> but then also like a halberd to where it's like got a lot more weight to it. You know, you can kind of like swipe or you can, you know, stab depending on. But I think, yeah, I would like a variation of both. That would be freaking awesome because I'm a big fan of pole arms and 
other games like World of Warcraft. I love being able to play my my paladin when it was possible with a pole arm, and I could Did run you around. I don't know. I, w- I would love to see a Dao in a. So if it's game. so if it's Sorry, just yeah. one handed, what do you do with the other hand? Good shield. question. Great for theory crafting. Shield or you know, a spell sword. Type of play. Interesting where you went with that because yeah. you know that's totally in the. Of what? I'm not following. Sorry, no, I'm looking at the chart. Sims going down oh, the rabbit hole on this. I look one. at the two. Wait, I look at the down. class chart and I go eight by eight, right? So you got you got eight mixed with the other eight. Cross down, man. I was totally not the. Okay, whatever. Sorry, I'm visualizing and just showing you all, and you're like, "What is that?" Wait. So. The What's class the class combo? Just- just your primary and your secondary class, right? Which is basically, but your weapon, mm-hmm. but your weapon right. is right, whatever, right? But yeah, I can still call yeah. it a spell sword. True, without being the actual class. True, but if there's like some oh, identity around, like preference play styles, that'd be cool. Man, I don't want that. You don't want that. You're like, no, I, I want to do what I want. want. Like, I want to be a high priest, but I want to be able to wield spear into your face you know? i mean it's possible they've already said that's totally possible <laughs> yeah that's what i want there yeah been discussions about for example if you've got a one-handed uh weapon then you have a spell book and you can throw spells one-handed which will be different to throwing spells with two hands mm. or casting spells with two hands wonder how that's going to play into how your abilities Maybe work cast too spells with your sword actually it's very yeah, similar be- to um to Elder Scrolls Oblivion, where you could have like a spell in each hand, mm-hmm. or you could have a weapon in one hand and a spell in the other. That'd be very cool. What if your weapon choice serves as an augment to your primary skills? That would kind of kill it for me. Like that would not kill the game for me, but that would kill the game, the the combat style I want. Mm-hmm. What if it's just one potential augment, though? What if there's, like, more than one? I guess we'll have to see. I'm curious. Makes you wonder where they're going with it all. Orbs is a weapon type? Yes. Yes. I'm wondering if this is like, wait, what? (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm learning so much today. No, it's, it's just... Orbs are a type of range. You're basically doing, okay. uh, doing but, this the entire yep. fight. Yeah, like, <laughs> out, like, look at my orb. <laughs> <laughs> it sparkles. Yeah. Ooh, I'm my refraining. Yeah. I'm refraining <laughs> so hard. <laughs> oh, no. Let yourself free, Sim. No, Sorry. no, no. I want this to not get like banned <laughs> off of podcast formats and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So here, here's a question then, <clears throat> which we haven't touched on. We're going to go back to Sanctus because this is these these other conversations around weapons and all that. This is total theory crafting, and I actually want to like shelve that for another time where we can re- really dig into some theory crafting ideas around it because I haven't really done that in a while, and I kind of feel like revisiting it because we've got a lot of additional work uh, information to work with, uh, especially in terms of like going back and looking at augmentations and com- combining that with whatever like primary skill archetypes we've seen so far and weapons, how that all plays in. Plus there's like race and stuff like that too, ultimate sort of stuff we can talk about. But where do we think Sanctus is? Cause is it a planet? Is it a realm? 
I mean, I actually, mention. I have a, I, I'm kind of, I'm in a weird place on this. And I've been initially, I always had the idea way back, like a couple years ago back or something from Dilly's diary time. I had this idea that Sanctus was a planet. The more that things have been explained, the, the less I'm starting to view things in such a, I don't know, traditional format, maybe. Like, I think a World of Warcraft, I think of, like, Argus as a planet and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. <clears throat> I'm starting to have a, a different take. Because we talked about how the um, the different gods have, or goddesses have realms, right? They have realms. Yes. And I'm kind of wondering how this is. Because we think about, and this is a good, like, comparison, I think, maybe. In a, in a, to an extent, is when you look at, like, the Elder Scrolls how there's like these planes that the different Daedric princes kind of have and you kind of have to get there through a portal or, or, you know, gateway or whatever. I'm kind of wondering if with ashes, it's going to be somewhere in the middle. Like maybe it's a planet, but the planet's also like a realm. Like it's got its own little pocket somewhere. And then how's that look in the grand scheme of, you know, like the, the galaxy or the universe. Cause We've got like some representation, very, very, very briefly of planets from artwork, which I know you referenced, right, in your video on, about Sanctus yeah. a bit, <clears throat> the artwork piece. Yeah, it was like the, and I, I love that artwork piece because it was actually one of my favorites way back, and it was one I always thought was cool, and it gave me an idea because I'm I'm a star guy. I like looking at like the universe and planetary bodies and like solar systems and galaxies and all that. And I think it's great to like think in terms of that, which we can relate to in our own world and universe and all that. But, you know, when you think about magical realms and things like that, you know, of course, I think I would like to see something different and it would be cool to see some different representation of that. So I'm kind of wondering if this idea of like you, you hit on as like pocket realms or, or even even the idea of a reality and that that really kind of like in my mind is where I'm starting to kind of gravitate a bit. It's somewhere between planetary body and also like a reality, because then my thoughts are it makes sense how if we banish this is my own, you know, lore crafting here. If if the these gods and the, and the ancients are banished. Right into this other reality or realm right then if you can go there via some some method you can come back via some method right which means that potentially you know humans or creatures or whatever is on vera could potentially reopen that separately from the divine gateways right but the gateways might be a way for um people specifically to to travel versus what they are but anyway i kind of rambled a bit there just <laughs> thinking just out loud going, I'm, I'm just reading through the wiki and there are multiple times jeffrey bard has called both sanctus and vera worlds mm-hmm. and has called vera a planet which to me suggests that they are separate planets True. rather than separate yeah. dimensions on the same planet. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it I mean, might just be through a bay lines. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, we already have the entire map for Vera. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so we can kind of conclude that it's different worlds, I guess. Sure. But mm-hmm. like they, they could change anything mm-hmm. in any sort of time because again, it's ashes of creation. We're talking about nothing is set to pinpoint. <laughs> true. True. That's what I was like trying to find with dimensions. I've been looking at things more in a dimensional perspective. I think that's where mm-hmm. I, that's what I missed. Like, so I think that there are planets, but I think there's like dimensions associated. Maybe those like dimensions are the the realms. I don't know. The dark yeah. realm. Curious. It could definitely be anybody's guess at this point. Because mm-hmm. there are there are other planets, there are other realms, there are other dimensions of reality, I guess you can call them. But those are all have already been those all have already been uh, implemented in some type of lore. Yeah. Either in uh, a pack or APOC or in some kind of blog. Mm-hmm. So it's anybody's guess at this point. So yeah. we're going to we we have actually hit an hour and a half. Wait, wait, wait I got one more thing. Oh my God. So, <laughs> I had this idea keep going, when, you, keep going, when you were talking going. about lifespans. Yeah. So potentially with my theory where the magic is sucked out, uh-huh. <laughs> the, mag- <laughs> the magic is siphoned out. Yeah, we'll go with siphon. Uh, elves could potentially have shorter lifespans in Sanctus. Oh. No. Without, that... their, without magic. That's an interesting theory. Oh. Interesting. But wouldn't that same thing apply to all the races, though? Yeah, but specifically yeah, yeah. elves, they are referenced as having the longest lifespan right. of anybody. Equals all that out, maybe, huh? Yeah, that would be very curious. And then it would, it would, it would pose the question of since they have this knowledge of the old world of Vera magics, whatever you want to call it, traditions, uh, stories, it would, it would uh, push them to write and. Uh, chronicle everything that they possibly could for the future generations. Yeah, it makes you wonder if their lifespan actually then diminishes compared to humans. If yeah. magic was used to to help give them longer life, then without it, is their lifespan even shorter? Sure, something that would mm. be weird if elves had a shorter lifespan than humans. That'd be but very odd. This- and Sanctus yeah, is definitely a Sanctus is definitely a place where all the rules and conditions don't apply anymore. In that True. way, in terms of magic, yeah. Mm-hmm. In terms of the benefit of magic and how that helps you as a civilization or yeah or race, depending on how your race like associates to it yep. or with it. And going back to the Holy Land or the Inquisitions or the cleansing, the humans and the other even the other races could use that. To their advantage, uh, proper sort of propaganda against elves, mm-hmm. or even uh, race. Uh, what do you call it? Uh, race betrayers, or what do you want to call them? Uh, like the humans could promise them longer life or something to bring them to to their cause. Oh man! And the elves couldn't do anything about it because they don't have any magic. Incoming episode: The Crusade. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, yeah, we we still don't know anything yeah. about Sanctus as far as if they actually had crusades, right? So it's 
it's a lot. Jeez, man. <laughs> That makes it goes back for me to this idea of the plans of the Pantheon. That's uh, something I would love to dig into is like when we look or look at what we know about the creation, because there's there's a lot of I need to go back and actually really revisit some of the D&D notes that they shared. There was what two different D&Ds that they've had that has helped give us some background on the lore a bit, tying some things in together and um that's definitely something that I want to look at a little bit more and revisiting the ideas around the Pantheon. Now is something I'd kind of want to do as well, aside from like just the, the perspective of theory crafting. But with that being said, that, that kind of leads me to ongoing. And this is my like final point. Cause I think next week's episode is going to be a little determined by a little bit more determined by what we actually get some snapshots about in the live stream. Cause I don't know exactly what we're going to see. We haven't gotten really too much of a hint in terms of that, other than you're going to see more Alpha 1 stuff and things coming soon in the form of what's going to be on the live stream and also what will be delivered in terms of blog and or news posts. Um, I will tell you, talking about the Pantheon is definitely something I want to continue the conversation about. Whether it'll be specifically the next episode or not will kind of be determined by what we see this coming week, which will be what Thursday or is it Friday? Thursday. Thursday. Thank you. Yeah. Four days Thursday. So this Thursday coming up, you can submit your questions on the forums. Uh, check the uh, official discord or the forums out for that. The information's there listed. Um, but my question for you all, before we kind of wrap this up and the time just flew by today. Uh, but that's a good thing. It is a good thing. Yeah. Um, and I feel like we just, I feel like honestly, I just picked right back up where I left off next time. But with that being said, what are you hoping to see? Like, what are you speculating or hoping to see on this coming live stream? Do you have anything? Uh, personally, I just want to see more. <laughs> just, it doesn't even matter what it is. I just want to see more. Mm-hmm. Give it to us. Yeah. Give me, give me more. Yeah. Just give me more. More. <laughs> yeah i'm yeah if you don't have specific thoughts i can tell you i am hoping to see more around alpha one i think any snapshot any snapshot more of alpha one to keep that momentum going and hopefully an announcement for maybe a blog post related to something there you know whether it's i, I think i think it's a good time for a little snapshot of lore of some kind to tie they this did in. say that they would do Another something. Yeah, they did. Well, the high quality Alpha One preview is supposed to be up sometime. Oh, right. Of- yeah. Well, they they said it'd be before the end of the month. Mm-hmm. So I mean, we still have a couple of days. <laughs> we still have a couple of days. It could actually that. be the day of right. the stream the if they wanted. Yeah. Uh-huh. Technically, yeah. Yeah, but we definitely need more blogs. Like we still need the religious node blog and yeah. the militaristic node blog. Mm-hmm. Node Dude, three. Them. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> we need an updated video. <laughs> we need an updated video of the uh, environmental preview. Remember that from yep. years ago? Yep. That's all updated. They need to just do that quick. Just give us something. Here you go. Look at this. You quick know snapshots. <laughs> It'd be nice. It would, but at the end of the day, mm-hmm. we also want them to actually make the game. And every time they make one of the dev diaries or they make a video, that's time that they're taking away from developing the game. 
And I think we all need to keep that in mind. I've, I've seen a lot of people on the forums basically saying, oh, we want to know everything. Right. No, but, but there's no point. I, you don't need to know everything. Counter argument to that is, if it's a video, yes, it's taking away from development time, whatever, or the team. But if it's just a, a blog that doesn't have a video, it takes one or two people to sit down, jot it down, and then refine it okay. and it out. A counter to what, what, what he said is um, they can do what they did with the Snapchat thing where Steven just holds the phone. Ah, oh, like sneak peeks of stuff. Yeah, those were yeah. nice too every now and then. Mm. And but again, it's, it's, Steven has all this lore written down somewhere. Yeah. And so does Jeff. <laughs> In a safe. It's, and all they have to do is just, yeah, give him this piece or no, don't give him this piece. Show him this, don't show him that kind of thing. The other thing on the video, too, to think about is it doesn't even have to be anybody involved in direct development. I mean, it could be somebody who can just hop in and run around with the camera, really. I mean, it could be, it could be Margaret or any of them that aren't really in a position yeah. to actually do the true development. So, true. but again, what? you needed the development to be like in, in line with what you're kind of ready to showcase and all that, too. So, yeah. I, I always get a little bit nervous whenever people bring up all the the whole sort of open open development thing, mm. and it's like how open do you want it to be? Yeah. Like, do we get to the point where you want to literally be looking over the shoulders of the uh, of the workers of the employees to make sure they're doing <laughs> what they say they're doing? Do you want a readout of every line of code that the engineers are writing? Because I guarantee that that information is pointless to you. And that's the other thing. It takes first of all that information. Very, it takes time. It does take time. It's pointless. And three, it takes out the creativity of your own employees. Mm. Like if yeah. you keep on just setting the mindset for your employees, okay, just do this, this, and that. You're going very um, bureaucratic, uh, company ethics, and mm -hmm. and not a creative open ethics. Mm. Where, where, where like companies like let's say Google comparing to um, a manufacturing company is like this, like you have to set this whole mindset of, of telling your employees yo I trust you you got this right. <laughs> it's like their earlier video uh, on Twitch where they like Stephen would grab a camera and just walk around the office. Hey, what are you working on? Hey, what are you working on? Hey, what are you working on? You know, and it, he would tell you in the beginning, none of this is final. This is first pass, second pass, whatever. So if you see something, take it as a, you know, as, with a grain of salt. And so that would be, that would be something to do. Like, hey guys, quick, let me give you a quick tour. But they can't really do that because everybody's locked up right now. <laughs> yeah that's the other thing too is like yeah in chat they're called micromanagement it's not going to foster innovation innovative a word i've used a lot in the past and i totally agree with that um so like i agree such disagree because it all comes down to the to your own company's ethics mm, yeah the like culture too micro and macro uh what's it called management uh, management does affect your company not that it doesn't mm. but the core ethics of that company, how you manage your own people will influence how they work. 
if that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's been at the forefront for quite some time. It's something that I've heard Stephen reiterate on multiple times, which is want to make sure that people are the right fit for the culture of the company. And, mm-hmm. and you know, so, yeah, I definitely think that's something that's resonating, too. So we are all going to take a Off look. Tangent. Yeah, it's OK. <laughs> We're all going to take a look and see what this coming Thursday holds. And we are going to reconvene. I think Pacha is going to be here next time. He was actually going to plan on being here today, but he got kind of got called called away um, for some work-related stuff today last minute. Um, so hopefully he'll get a chance to kind of follow up on this as well and kind of catch up, uh, give us some of his info, and we're going to kind of pick up where we left off next time. Um, and we're going to see what we get from the live stream. We'll definitely be covering that here and kind of picking up on the conversation where we left off because this is probably going to go on a little bit <laughs> every, every week, right? The last week of this week has definitely been like, we are talking and getting uh, a lot of information out and, and almost having to kind of cut ourselves off to continue next time, which is great for conversation. It, it shows that we have a lot of uh, good things to kind of talk about. And hopefully everybody that's been hanging out and watching these is, benefiting from it as well. Don't forget to contribute to the conversation yourself. Remember that if you are here watching live, checking this out, you're a Pathfinder, you can contribute too. Um, You are helping to carry the torch while the game's in development. Uh, But speaking of carrying the torch, I'm going to pass that off to each of you to uh, go ahead and shout out your channels if you'd like. Let people know where you reign, what your domains are. We'll start with Faisal and kind of go around to Mackin and Mist. You can find me on Twitch, Faisal108. I stream from time to time. You're more, more than welcome to join. Don't need for any donations. I just do it for the fun. <laughs> I'll take his donations. I'm Mac G. You can catch me on YouTube, Twitch, uh, Ashes Forums, Ashes Discord, uh, same name, Macanoji. You can find me on my YouTube channel, Wandering Mist. I'm also active on the forums and on the Ashes uh, Discord. You can find me there with the same name. And uh, I'm going to make a, a promotion today. I usually just kind of wrap things up and don't really promote a whole lot of my stuff and things, but I want to promote the Twitter for the show, which is at uh, Ashes Pathfinder. Be sure to follow that one specifically um, for updates on the show when it go live goes live who's involved and kind of like when it's posted on all of the places uh, we have it on audio format on Spotify, uh, iTunes and Podbean, along with YouTube and here on Twitch where it's cataloged. Um, also would encourage anybody who's interested in joining the conversation or want to maybe give us ideas for talking points to join uh, the discord. Uh, it's just discord.gg forward slash Simorg, like my name, S I M U R G H. Um, want to encourage you to do that. And, also, um, if you're looking for a guild, you can join Virtue. Feel free to hit me up in Discord as well. You can also do that there. If you're on Twitter and you love Ashes, use hashtag AshesFam, something that we're all trying to push. It's kind of like our community tag we're creating. Um, and also, I want a big shout out to all of the Patreon supporters uh, who support this podcast and all of my own content. Uh, and all the paladins here on Twitch, which are the subscribers, whether you're on Twitch or YouTube. So I want a big, big shout out to all of you. Uh, I know things are you know, difficult and they're probably going to be difficult for a while with everything going on in the world with COVID-19. Stay safe. 
know that there's no expectation to support this. We do this out of pure passion, um, but everything's appreciated. And for all of you that join every week uh, or watch, you uh, are very much appreciated here in the community and on the show. So thank you, whether you're here on the show or watching live. Uh, I appreciate all of your time. And with that being said, we're going to check out this Ashes live stream coming up. And until next Sunday, 5 p.m. CDT, we will catch you on stream, everybody. Have a great week. Bye, guys. Ciao.